to Deep Thoughts Shallow Plots. My name's Erica, and I like to watch horror movies. My name's Katie, and I really like to overanalyze things. What are we overanalyzing today? Today, Katie, we are overanalyzing the 1983 slasher classic Sleepaway Camp, which is kind of, as you just said, off mic, a like a mix between Friday the 13th and Psycho. I think that's a pretty good way mm-hmm. to describe it. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of kids at a, a summer camp, one of which is, you know, a quiet... Meek little girl. Meek girl named Angela. And um, people pick on her a lot. And the people who pick on her suddenly <laughs> seem to die in creative and horrific ways. In very poetically yes. justified ways, yes. perhaps. Um, which is what I like to say. And then hilarity ensues. Yeah. Right? Um, but then, unfortunately, the hilarity can't take us through the end of the film because there's a very <laughs> unhilarious final reveal final twist reveal. ending. In like the last 30 seconds of the film. Yeah. And I feel like we need to sort of get that out of the way right in the beginning because that's what we're going to be talking about this whole time, which is that Angela at the end is revealed not just to be the killer, but also a trans woman or a woman who is being forced to cross-dress by her aunt, a boy, I should say, who is being forced to cross-dress by her aunt or how exactly we want to word that. I mean, well, we... We can't possibly word it worse than the way they do in the film. Yes. Where, what, what's it, what's that guy's name again? Ronnie. Ronnie. Where he says, my God, she's a boy. Yeah. Like, I think as long as we don't say that, it's <laughs> fine. I mean, in simplest terms, Angela is revealed to have a penis. Like, that's, yes. yeah. Yeah, that yeah. is the, probably the simplest terms to yeah. put it. And it does bring up the question of how, as we're doing this podcast, we're going to be referring to Angela. Mm-hmm. I guess later, I have not seen the sequels, but later she, like, continues to be, like, a girl who has, like, transitioned, so perhaps as a trans woman. This is my understanding. For that reason. Yeah. I think we will be referring to her by she, her pronouns, because that's what she uses in the course of this film, whether or not it's, like, unclear at this point, but she has not chosen any other pronouns, so... I don't know how much this is really worth, but to me, it's worth something that Angela is played by a female actress. Mm. Yeah. Until those last moments. Oh, yeah. When they get when a, they get a fully adult man to be her body. Have you heard that story? Yeah. About the drunk college guy? Yeah. Yeah. But they just got some guy. <laughs> they just got a college guy. And he was just like, I'll only do it if I'm really drunk. And yeah. I was like, that should have been your red flag. You should have gotten somebody who could do it. With a little more respect. <laughs> yeah. And like, if that was the only way, then maybe your movie perhaps has some problems with its twist ending. I don't know, man. I've, I also feel like... We got to remember that this is 1983. Yeah. I'm not like excusing any of the actions yeah. or or the story or the reveal, but like, this yeah. Is but even in the 80s, I mean, trans people and especially trans women and trans women of color mm-hmm. and trans sex workers mm-hmm. are all people who are much, much, much more likely to be victims of violence than to be like perpetrators of violence. This is true. And Very so true. stories like this mm-hmm. and like cross-dressing killers or whatever you want to call it like these are really harmful depictions because they're representing trans people as like deceptive Mm -hmm. and aggressive and these have consequences because we can use these ideas to justify violence against trans people which is how we get things like gay and trans panic defenses and how we get a bunch of our current laws about supposedly protecting cis women from Mm -hmm. like you know, violent men or whatever, but which is really just keeping trans women yeah, who, from using who can go into what the proper bathroom. bathroom. Yeah. yeah. So like, I think a lot of people fairly find this movie kind of painful to watch. Sure. Yeah. 
And at the same time, there are some modern like trans and queer viewers who actually find a lot to love in it and like yeah it's kind of thinking about like why so many queer people really like horror and like seeing themselves reflected in horror like even if they're only reflected as the monsters right but like seeing that monster and seeing that monster is like possibly like sympathetic being sympathetic to them you know it's like kind of in a way problematically empowering as well you know yeah it's like if you don't see yourself represented anywhere in the culture then you'll take whatever you can get right even if it's a pretty poor representation Mm -hmm. of what your life is actually like yeah no and I think there's actually um there's an author Harmony Colangelo who has written quite a bit about sleepaway camp and her and her Mm -hmm. wife are coming out with a book about it soon it might be out by the time this podcast goes out I don't know I don't know either um but no, she has an article specifically called The Transgender Defense of Angela Baker and Sleepaway Camp. <laughs> and something she brings to the discussion that I thought was really interesting is this idea that, well, here, I'll just read it in her own words. Okay. In a backwards way to how things play out in most films, all of this makes Angela Baker a tragic example of how important gender expression is. In Angela's brain, she is Peter, but people keep calling her by a name she doesn't want to be called and misgendering her. That is the plot of all films about transitioning, but because it takes place in reverse and is attached to a problematic film like Sleepaway Camp, it is discounted on all counts. That is doing a disservice to what this film has to say, whether it was the creator's intentions or not. Mm Just as an example of how people are sort of reclaiming this film and finding something in this film, finding a sort of representation in this film, even despite of like its problematic elements Mm -hmm. or even because of its problematic elements. Right. And I think that one's interesting in particular for seeing it as sort of like a trans story, but as Peter being forced to be a girl, Uh you know, instead of another reading of Angela as a trans woman. Yeah. And yeah, that's the thing is that I also, with the information that I have, about like the making of this film, mm-hmm. like I don't think there was any intention. Like, well, that I, is the I thing. Just think they were like, wouldn't it be funny if she had a penis? Yeah, or I mean, not even funny. I think wouldn't it be shocking? shocking. Wouldn't it be disturbing? Yeah. Wouldn't it be horrifying? Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean that's why the shine- final shock yeah. is she's a boy instead of she's the killer. Yeah, because yeah. like it is shocking that Angela's the and killer. It's- is it shocking that Angela's the killer? It's pretty obvious Angela's the killer. I, mean, I think it is equally obvious between her and Ricky. Right. Yeah. I was noticing that because I and did. I, think sh- I gave it a rewatch yeah. a couple days ago. And I was just like, oh, yeah. Like, it it actually does make sense that it could yeah. have been Angela or Ricky because of, like, who's yeah. dying and their, I mean, the previous interaction they had. I've only seen this movie with the ending already spoiled. So Fair. I can't really say. Me to too. Me too. Yeah. A modern, you know, like, yeah. the audience viewing it for the first time would react to it. But yeah. I think having the meek quiet girl mm-hmm. ending up being a vicious killer is kind of surprising it's a twist yeah. even if you see it coming or not it's yeah. a twist it's unexpected she seems more like a final girl but still yeah I agree I don't think intention on the part of the filmmakers was there for this to be some sort of like trans liberation trans revenge type story no 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 no, 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 no. but it's interesting that it can be read that way still nonetheless yeah you know, it's a really interesting movie. And honestly, I feel like if it didn't have that last reveal, I almost wonder if anybody would still care about this movie. Yes. I wonder that too. Yeah. It would still be any sort of cult classic without yeah. that. And like, if not, does that make it more problematic to like watch it today? I don't know. That's a weird half-formed thought. Yeah. Like, I- can it be reclaimed if the only reason why it was ever popular is because people were so shocked and disgusted by, like, this, like, really transphobic ending? Yeah, right. 
Like, uh, just because as a modern audience, we can have sympathy for Angela. Like, is there still value in that? I don't know. Sure. It's a complicated well, movie. I would, I would love to talk about what I, what I call when we, you know, let's, we'll talk about the genres and talk about the horror stuff that like, honestly, I find every single kill in this movie to be really, really well done. And uh, honestly, like, I think the kills are really creative. I like how it's not the same thing every time, Mm -hmm. right? Like, if we're thinking about the slasher, which, you know, I think we could pretty easily call this movie a slasher, even though it doesn't really fit the archetypes I want to talk about that. Yeah. I want to talk about how, whether, what to call this genre-wise. I, yeah. Within the well heading in a lot of ways it really does fit a really traditional slasher because you know it's like one setting you know Mm -hmm. a lot of people are dying over you know what's to be like a relatively short period of time there's like like ramps up there's the ramp up there's the escalation there's like um you know obviously the fact that it takes place at a summer camp Mm -hmm. is like a huge aspect you know yeah because they were clearly cashing in on the success of like friday the 13th right and and other slashers like that yeah exactly so i do think it it is a slasher but when we think about the five main hallmarks um it's not so straightforward Yeah. yeah um but I actually, you know, I actually do think it's a it's a pretty good horror movie. And I do think a lot of the effects hold up really well for 1983, especially for how cheaply this movie was made. I was, you know, kind of counting the kills and, and taking note of them. And mm-hmm. I really like how they're all different. Nobody dies the same way twice. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and how they like in some ways connect with like a traditional summer camp theme. Mm. Like drowning in the lake yeah in the canoe right and then uh the beehive right you know frank um the arrow yeah and then of course i think we would be remiss if we didn't mention the really really heavy-handed music in the opening scene oh my god (laughs) no yeah when we were watching it i was just like is this going is this going too hard? Yeah, it's going really hard. Yeah. And it's funny because what it's, what we're seeing visually is actually really gorgeous. Like this lake. Yeah. In the fall, the like the leaves are starting to turn. Yeah. And, but like this like, like I, really. I, yeah, I was like, is the horror because this is like a beautiful camp, but it's like deserted. So obviously something bad has happened here. Yeah. Because then later we get some like police tape also or yeah, like, yeah, yeah. or like no trespass or something. It's like boarded right. off or something. Yeah. I feel like shots. maybe we could have like, yeah, like had some stuff broken. Had some yeah. blood. Yeah. Something. something. Some sort of sign that something bad happened here because instead we just got like. It's like a gorgeous yeah. view. Yeah. And like a little bit in the background of like kids. It's laughing yeah and like <laughs> and i was like what what am i supposed no, to think it's here? weird um but i think all the kills are really creative like actually and i think when the the first one Artie, when he oh yeah he gets burnt because he, he actually i don't think he does technically die no he just gets very badly burnt like the effects on his burns are just like are really great yeah, and actually, honestly i think that. that actor like really committed to it like that guy was screaming his mm-hmm. head off um, I think when Kenny dies, um, the water snake was just a oh, yeah. kiss, beautiful touch, beautiful touch. I did go with that. Um, also, it's worth noting that Kenny and whoever his friend was, um, are smoking marijuana before they get in the boats. Oh. Um, so obviously they need to die. Like they yeah. broke, they broke the slasher rule. They did drugs, right? Yeah. Um, I like Billy gets stung to death by bees. Like mm-hmm. that was a fun kind of you know new way to do it and then meg's death i feel like getting stabbed in the shower was just like a really clever way to do that on a low budget you know like because they're just like knife going into wall yeah meg pretending to be stabbed yeah yeah yeah. Um, plus it makes for another great psycho reference 
Yeah, it does. You're right. That's a good point. And then I also really enjoyed the horror that is like the the contrast between the light and the shadow when Angela kills Judy. Mm-hmm. Um, although it is, in my opinion, the most disturbing death. Oh, my God. I did not realize what was going down in that scene. I was like, she somehow kills her with a hot iron? How? Yeah, it what? took me a while. I actually had to like, <laughs> I somebody saw, had yeah, to explain somebody read it, it online. I was like, is that what happened? Oh, but also, like, even if that is what happens, even if she gets, like, assaulted with her curling iron, like, that's not going to kill her? Well, I guess she's also getting smothered with a pillow. Oh, that's fair. So, yeah, you're right. So it's kind of like a... Smothered oof, while extra. getting assaulted. Woof, yeah. Violated um, like that. Yeah, that was probably, like, the most But it wasn't, like, disturbing. a plugged-in, turned-on hot iron. Well, she was... Uh, Judy she was been using, curling oh, okay. her hair earlier. Okay. But, like, I don't know if it was plugged in. I don't yeah, know how if hot it, was still it still would have been. Well, in the 80s, those ones probably went pretty hot without a lot of... Those freaking 80s, yeah. I don't... Yeah. Uh, um, I don't and know. then Mel gets an arrow right through the throat in the archery range. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we don't see Paul's death, but Paul dies too. Yeah. We're meant to believe that he's been, like, straight up decapitated, yeah. right? Yeah. So, like, you know, I was talking about these five main aspects of a slasher, at least according to Carol J. Clover, is the killer, right? Mm-hmm. Who, who's Angela? Mm-hmm. Um, the weapon, which there are so many, right? right? Yeah. Each kill is different. It's Angela has neat. a very large skill set. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Get it, girl. Who, the setting is like a summer camp. Like, so that one's Bathrooms good. outside, you know. Yeah. Um, there's like the shock, right, which, you know, is that Peter is, or sorry, that Angela is quote unquote actually Peter, whatever. Yeah. And But then there's also the final girl. Like, who's the final girl? I think it's Angela. Yeah. I mean, there were some people talking about how perhaps being able to read the one cap counselor who's like nice to Angela. I guess. Who's still alive at the end. Because she's part of the reveal at the end. She, It's her and Ronnie who's yeah, but she But like, she's like such a non-character. She doesn't do anything. She's not yeah. a character. Yeah. We she like never have no back. investment in her. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't even yeah. remember her name. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, people were bringing her up mostly to be like, she's the closest we have. And I was like, no. And she sucks at it. I think Angela's the closest we have. And yeah. I think that's okay. Um, So it's really interesting to see the connection between like the killer because there's always like a very interesting special connection between the killer and the final girl the that's slasher. true yeah and yeah. so it's interesting that it's, it's like a very important bond the, effectively the same person yeah um and no and i think that also kind of ties into the idea of a little bit what you were saying earlier about people sort of finding representation in this mm-hmm. that even though it's like this problematic representation mm-hmm. it's like what other representation is there exactly like what does it say about us as a society as yeah. viewers that like we have so few trans women in, like, the horror genre that we can, like, hold up in comparison to Angela. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a few more movies now that have, like, trans women in the center of their mm-hmm. horror movies. But it's still pretty goddamn rare. Yeah. So it's like, even though this film presents Angela as, like, this, you know, killer in this problematic way, they also give her, like, a lot of depth. And there's also something about how our culture also just really loves to root for, like, the quote-unquote villain, especially when the villain is given a lot of, like justification truly oh <laughs> a lot of gosh. reasons for why they're doing what they're yeah. doing and that it's a way to view people as like just people who do both good and bad things rather than as just like monsters right. or whatever and, and people in general being so much more than yeah. the worst thing they ever did yeah. yeah i mean and it's like having a villain at least is better than having i don't know maybe no trans characters or a trans character to the side who's just like token diversity points or maybe it's not, depending on how problematic that representation is. I think it's like an interesting line that everybody kind of decides for themselves. Yeah, because also it would it would not be very smart of us to lump 
all trans people together is having the exact same feelings about Angela's character in Sleep Right, Away no, Camp, right? I saw a yeah. lot of difference. Yeah. Not just from trans people, but people elsewhere on the queer spectrum yeah. as well, who just have different experiences as queer people and thus can find ways to relate to Angela yeah. as somebody who is queer coded. And also thinking... But also have find this like horror in watching Angela yeah. and the way that she is treated. And also kind of putting it into the context of like where they were when they first saw it you know yeah and like what the people around them reacted in different ways and things yeah there's it's so it's so uh such a rich tapestry yeah and it's definitely one that i wanted to get a lot of different views on because absolutely yeah neither of us were coming to this movie as trans women yeah or like trans feminine people and so i wanted to see what other people thought and there's Yeah. yeah there's a lot of messy complicated thoughts about this movie that are really interesting to get into this isn't really related other mm-hmm. than the fact that we're sort of talking about genre and horror and all yeah. of that. Another thing that I saw was, um, especially in Aspen Nelson's Why Trans Women Can't Have a Promising Young Woman Yet, a lesson mm-hmm. from sweep- Sleepaway Camp, mm-hmm. that this movie could also be read less as a slasher and more as like a rape revenge film. Mm-hmm. Like there's no actual act of rape, but Angela is this victim who is like righteously seeking revenge. Yeah, things happen to Angela yeah without Angela saying it's okay yeah she doesn't like a lot yeah (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) and so you kind of root for her in this way like you would for a lot of other you know revenge films but this article also brought up a lot of interesting things about like it's very different to have like a cis white woman getting this like revenge fantasy film versus like a trans woman who's often already been stereotyped as like violent or like black women who are like angry and aggressive right like, right. can they have a revenge film in the same do way do you remember when we watched ticked off trannies with knives i do do you remember anything about that movie Not, i remember willem was in it willem and roxy andrews's mom erica andrews oh was also in it i don't that is the extent of my memory. i i remember there was a scene where they like put some kind of weapon up a dude's butt mm. and like if he moved or did something then like he would get hurt basically and then i remember that guy yelling like you're sick you know and then willem's character is like it's sickening or something yeah. like that and i was like okay <laughs> this movie yeah. Woo, that was a movie um, right yeah it's, it just it becomes <laughs> it becomes so much harder to make the revenge not come across as these really damaging stereotypes in this world of like trans misogyny and misogynoir you know and it's like we can sort of start off sympathizing with Angela as we see her as this like meek cis girl yeah and then we get this twist ending where it's like she's no longer allowed to be this like wronged woman but instead she's like this quote-unquote man who's like committing murder right and it's scary and horrifying and this article also pointed out like the difference between Angela and her very, very small cult following, and, like, Carrie, which is a very similar story. It is a similar story. It's a girl getting bullied yeah. and basically getting revenge, and you know? a quiet, meek... Yeah. yeah. Never did nothing to nobody. Yeah. With a a weird, overbearing mother figure. Yeah. That's true. And Carrie is a character point. who gets so much sympathy. Yeah. Whereas I don't think Angela does. No. What do you think about the function of what are obviously Peter and Angela's two gay dads? Yeah. So like. The one dad is Lenny. I don't know the other dad's name. I don't know either, The surviving yeah. dad is Lenny. Lenny. Okay. And so, then the other dad who dies. Yeah. So like 
it's obvious to like the trained eye in that yeah. opening scene. That was like, oh, they're gay. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I remember saying to you, yeah. I am going to assume until the movie inevitably proves me wrong that these are two gay dads. Yeah. Because I just assumed that the movie would inevitably prove Say me no, wrong. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, but then later it was like, oh no, these are two gay dads. Two gay dads. And Love like, this for them. And that scene where like young Peter and young Angela are like giggling at them. Yeah. And it's like, is this movie like, tr- like trying to tell us that like part of the reason why Angela is so like strange or is a killer is like because she has two dads i i could see reading it that way that is not how i read it okay how'd you read it because i I would prefer to not think about it well i guess okay my thought is that like i felt really bad for lenny the surviving dad for not being able to get custody of at the time peter peter yeah yeah wrong biblical name um And it's like, how would this film have played out if he had? And the deal is that it wouldn't have. It's just, yeah. It's like heteronormativity that put Angela in this position to go live with her aunt. Yeah. Her crazy fucking aunt. Oh, my because God. Because <laughs> couldn't be allowed to live with Lenny, who apparently, it seems like, had been co-parenting both of these children. Yeah. For a while. Yeah. We don't ever find out, like, what's up with Peter and yeah. Angela's mom. Yeah. If she's just, like, out of the picture. I, apparently, yeah. because they end up with... And an Martha. An aunt, yeah. And yeah. it turns out that systemic homophobia is the real villain all along. All along, yeah. yeah. Tell me about it. But I mean, I just, I, but where I'm going with this, I guess, yeah. is that it seems important to me that the few scenes that we do get of their family, mm-hmm. it's like a really happy family. Like they're co-parenting these children. Yeah, they're, they're having a nice on beach the lake. day. Yeah. You know, like they clearly love each other, these yeah. two dads. And that scene where they're giggling, I kind of took it more as the way that kids laugh when you see your parents being lovey-dovey. Uh-huh, it didn't yeah. seem like a malicious sort of like... Yeah. It just seemed like kids who didn't know anything and were just like, oh, there's our parents and they're in love. It isn't that kind of silly and gross, but also sweet, you know, in that way that kids feel. Yeah. It's interesting also that they were like, I think Lenny says like, oh, your sister's on the way or something, something about the aunt coming. So oh, it's that's like, right. Yeah. So it's like the aunt also knows about this relationship. Right. So it's not even like a closeted thing. It's, like, this really open relationship that's, like, not a big deal, and it's, like, really loving. Yeah. And it's, like, a good thing for these kids. Yeah. And then this teen heterosexual nonsense comes in. Right. But then... And straight people killed everyone. Also, how many... Like, once we get... So we've got the, the setup of the two gay dads, right? Yeah. Um, But then once we get to the summer camp... I don't know how many straight people actually go to the summer camp because <laughs> we we talked already about Paul. Yeah. Right. I have questions about Paul. I also have questions about Paul, but I also have questions about Judy. I have questions about Judy. So Judy, as well as Meg, M-E-G, <laughs> Meg, um, they're both like kind of like the mean girls, right? Yeah. And they're... Really interesting because Judy is harassing and bullying Angela Mm -hmm. and then, like, gets jealous when Paul starts to show her attention, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just like, why are you, like, so wrapped up in what's happening with Angela like why why are you like this and then she also does what does she she compliments Angela's body do you remember that Mm, she says like something about that rockin bod or something like when they're like at the waterfront you know and like compliments her body and then like 
she's like always like wants to be all up in Angela's business. She's like when she gets, she's like, why don't you shower with the rest of us? You know, and it's just like, why the fuck do you care when she yeah. showers? She's dude? always trying to figure out what's going on with Angela's body. Yeah. Try to get like, her like naked care? or half dressed. And then get her she, clothes. she's like, what are you queer or something? You yeah. know, and I was just like. Why does it matter, Judy? Yeah. Why does it matter? Then it's also really interesting. What got me, well, like, cracked me up the first time watching it is that, like, I think Judy says something to Angela about, like, being a prude. Mm-hmm. Like, she uses the word prude. And it, it like, that word comes with, like, a really dramatic musical cue. <laughs> like, not a prude. Not a prude. Yeah. And I was like, oh, the 80s. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, so something's going on with Judy, for sure. Yeah. No, yeah. I agree. I just, I also think. Yeah, with all of that, that sort of like weird, almost voyeuristic policing of Angela's body she does, and also how she's like kissing Paul in a way that's clearly to show off to Angela. Yeah. And it's like, what kind of jealousy are you trying to listen? Yeah, whose jealousy are you trying to and listen? And also yeah. like what it means that she previously dated Angela's cousin, Ricky, Ricky yeah. who bears quite a resemblance to they Angela. They do look a lot alike. And that yeah. when Angela does show up to kill Judy, at first Judy doesn't seem to know whether it's like Ricky or Angela right. or like if it's a boy or a girl or like what is happening there. And it's just like, I don't know. It seems like there's something in that. And all she says is like, don't turn on the light or we'll have to go to the social. Right. Yeah. But it, what she does is what they, they all do. All the people who get killed by Angela, like when they see, see Angela, but like we can't see her, you know, yeah. they're like, Oh, it's you. Yeah. They're always just like, Oh, just you. What? Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Little do they know. Well, yeah. And then did you also, did you catch what Kenny, was it Kenny who gets drowned? Kenny. Yeah. Um, when he's in the little air pocket in the canoe and Angela pops up. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, it's you. And he's, what does he say? He says, um, I think the rest of the guys will be interested in seeing you or some, yeah. something like that. Like something that like puts Angela in with like the rest of the guys. In the weird yeah. way. Well, and I think also that's meant to be a little foreshadowing to the the twist yeah. at the end um but also like as a red herring to think it maybe it is ricky right right yeah because yeah. i think there's supposed to be ambiguity between yeah angela and ricky yeah but i also think angela's queerness on its own without any of that other stuff is interesting because like especially in terms of like does she have some sort of like desire for judy does she have any sort of desire for paul i think it's like un clear mm-hmm. i mean now that i am aware which i did not notice at the time that part of angela killing judy was like sexually and assault yeah her, yeah is like interesting yeah but then yeah like we're talking about the relationship has this tinge of his obsession mm-hmm. and i feel like one of the reasons why judy first sort of picks out angela as somebody to bully is that she calls angela out for staring at her right angela is staring at judy yes. and it's like is that desire yeah is that some sort of gender envy is she like giving you the stink eye? is it some sort of confusion <laughs> yeah. of all of these feelings or or is she like dissociating and, and just looking yeah. somewhere and it happens to be at you is it the <laughs> creators of this movie trying to like again see these ideas that yeah. angela is a man and thus is like looking at these right you know, in this woman's space looking yes. at these women and we're supposed to be like uh yeah it's just, it's interesting. Um, There's actually this, another uh, quote, um, talking about, like, there's the transness going on here, but that there's also just sort of, like, in general, even when you take that out, Angela mm-hmm. really works as, like, a queer-coded character. Yeah. 
Elio Emil Billet talks about how Angela is hated throughout the first third of the film because of her mere existence without her having spoken or acted yet. It's true. Yeah. She doesn't do anything. No. And they just start screaming at her. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No. Or and- honestly, like like a queer person or like honestly like a neurodivergent person. Yeah. You know, who's like around a lot of neurotypical people who like don't know how to just be a decent human being. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no. This this writer goes on yeah. to say, whether it's the attempted sexual assault by the cook that reminds us of the prevalence of such crimes against trans women, yes. the way that the group of young people view her as other and different from the moment she arrives, the violence when confronted with her muteness that can be seen as a metaphor for how cis people react to trans people they don't understand, yeah. or even the name calling, every scene screams to us that Angela is queer. Yeah. You know, and it's like goes beyond the transness. I saw a few different writers you know reacting to this film talking about how it's like everything about the way that people respond to Angela is very much that queer feeling of like no matter what you do to not get noticed yeah people are going to notice you and they are going to make comments about you yeah and and I think also like a character like Judy who is like maybe also somewhere on the queer spectrum but maybe not ready to to confront that to confront that um or maybe just it has every intention of just ignoring it, you know, right, and yeah, pushing yeah. it down. Because I, I mean, I think it, it sounds like Judy does have some attraction to men because she was hanging out with Ricky the summer before. Remember, like in the yeah, yeah, beginning of the film, like when we first actually meet her, she's like talking to a bunch of like older, older boys. boys. Yeah, um, that maybe she'd be just like, well, I do have a, like attraction to the people that. I'm supposed to be attracted to. So I'll just like put all my energy and focus in this and anything like towards the contrary is going to like elicit like a fight response, Mm -hmm. you know? So yeah, maybe, you know, Judy's like, I don't need Angela here messing up my like summer of heteronormativity. (laughs) Yeah. Um, She clearly is. Yeah. Angela very much is there or like, I feel like even for the viewers of the 80s, we are supposed to see Angela as this like haunting homosexuality, this haunting transness, this like sense of like they're they're among us, you know, Mm -hmm. like queer people are all around us. We never know where they'll be coming from, you know, like that's the real threat in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I kind of picked up a couple like instances of like what I kind of considered like wolf in sheep's clothing, you know. Mm. Um, I I see it a couple of times. It's there with the adults in the film who are piss poor excuses for adults, (laughs) which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, But also like the idea of, you know, thinking about the the 1980s as sort of like the 1950s part two like with this really big political and social swing back towards Mm. conservatism and like you know the presidency of ronald reagan and you know you think about it it's like who's the summer camp for it's like several weeks long Mm -hmm. you know they're there for a significant period of time they have like a like a commissary or a store yeah yeah they can buy food you can buy food candy and shit like this is this is a camp for kids with money right Mm -hmm. and also white kids like i don't think i saw any campers or really even counselors of color not really no maybe some that could be ambiguous ambiguous (laughs) yeah i think about gene yeah like gene could be yeah. Yeah. Like, and of course we have the, I, I don't, he becomes the head cook. Right. He's, ben. he's a black man. Yeah. There's like a, there's like, but three he's or like four, in this like service position. Yeah. Three or four 
people of color working in the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the service positions. Yeah. So it's like, who is this camp for? It's for rich white kids, which Mm -hmm. is like, if you want to consider it the 1980s, like most precious resource. Right. Yeah. And so like when they're at this summer camp, who is endangering the well-being Mm. of this most precious resource? It's Mm. a girl who's quote unquote actually a guy. And like. It's queerness. uh, It's transness. uh, It's. A, a, a poor misinterpret like a misinterpretation yeah. of it but yeah basically but that's basically the thing. that and so like yeah it's like angela at least you know from one perspective is sort of like this wolf in sheep's clothing is like meant to be kind of the like the secret queer mm-hmm. ruining their corrupting heteronormative summer but like but she's not right yeah. obviously paul, she was just there living her life and yeah. the people started picking and on she's her. not the only one obviously paul is in love with ricky yeah, which just, we need to talk about yeah and and judy obviously has a lot going on and has like a long way in her bisexual awakening yeah you know it's no. like but angela is the one who shows up and like yeah and messes it all up right you know no but i want to talk more actually about your um sort of like 80s as 50s redux because right. the other thing you just made me think about actually is aunt martha oh my god and like <laughs> the comparison to the family scenes we get of angela and peter with their two loving gay dads yes compared to aunt martha who is a reeks of like the 80s fear of the single mother of like a divorced home yeah you know in that like controlling ruined by divorce overbearing isolating right that like her being a villain in that also very 80s way yeah god aunt martha just raises so many questions Aunt Martha raises a lot of questions for me. Um, but can like can we just like? But we really need to talk about how in love with Ricky Paul is. Paul is weird about Ricky. Yeah, they're exchange- from the very first moment. Yes, I was like, oh what? You do what? <laughs> and then you like how he he talks to Ricky about Judy's boobs. Yeah, yeah. It's like oh, I'm talking to you about a woman's body, so yeah. it's okay. But like. Yeah. yeah. And it's like the big moment where Paul is cheating on Ricky's cousin with Ricky's ex <laughs> until Ricky finds them. Yeah, it's right. like, is this all about Ricky? This is, about Ricky. is this yeah. what this is about, Paul? And don't get me wrong, like, Ricky's a cutie, you know? Yeah. Um, but also, then with the interchangeability with Angela and Ricky. Right, yeah. And also that way too long baseball scene. Um, the baseball scene is interesting. Their exchange during the baseball scene is so cute. I do think Paul calls Ricky babe. <laughs> I think he's like... In that jocular 80s yeah, boy yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where those 80s boys can also wear their slutty little crop tops in oh, their short shorts, which I love for them. That was another thing I noticed because I, I asked myself or like a question came up for me, which is like, how are gender roles enforced in this movie? But also how are they subverted? Right. Mm-hmm. And like really the big thing is that like all the men are dressed like sluts but i mean that was more of an 80s look i guess i don't know so much i there's a lot of 80s movies with the guys in their crop tops and their little tight shorts okay i believe you um and it's interesting how also later in the film all the guys want to go skinny dipping and but they can't get enough girls to go so they just all go anyway because it's just the whatever being a little heathen yeah oh my gosh um Boy, some short shorts, some cropped crop tops. Yeah. Like, whew, we are showing a lot of male skin yeah. and male body in this, yeah, for sure. There's just a lot yeah. of homosexuality going on in this film. Yeah. Especially in the baseball. Yeah. In that baseball scene. Which is yeah. like, it's such an interesting scene because it goes on for so long. It really does. And the only kind of bearing it has on the plot is that it sort of serves to like kind of build up the tension between Ricky and some of the other boys. Yeah. 
Because they're kind of fighting over the baseball game, and then they start to, like, tease Angela, and so he has to stand up for his cousin. Yeah. So there's, like, creating some tension between that. And the other thing is that I think it also adds a little bit to, like, the theme of, like, revenge and retribution, because it has a lot of talk of, like, we'll get them back next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then don't worry, Ricky, we'll get them back. There is an exchange, because, like, what do the, like, those other boys do, like... Was it water balloons? Yeah, it was or water balloons. Yeah, and Ricky's all mad about it, and I was like, "It's water balloons. What? Yeah. Like with just water in them? Nothing else? Yeah, you're fine. Whatever. You're yeah. fine. Well, according to Mel, you could get an eye poked out with those. Oh, okay. Well, let's believe everything <laughs> Mel says. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it is interesting, like the way that they do it, because you know, watching it now, it's pretty obvious that Angela's the killer. But like the point is, is that like the parody between Angela and and Ricky, like mm-hmm. it really could be either yeah. of them. And it is interesting because the first person they get revenge on because mm-hmm. it's Artie, the yeah. the super creepy kitchen dude. We will talk about that more yeah, later. Yeah, who doesn't? He doesn't die again, but like he's he the can, first one to yeah. kind of get revenge right um and we can see it as revenge for like the blatant attempted assaults in the lock-in and i'm like dude your co-workers are like right there (laughs) and like it's it's literally dinner time like there are a hundred people in the kitchen or like in in the dining hall right there and that's how like ricky walks in right you know Mm mm-hmm and so, yeah, it's like interesting, you know, it could have been seen as Angela getting revenge, but also Ricky getting yeah. revenge because he does try to like fight him off. Yeah. Know? And I think it's interesting that it's Ricky is the one. It's either people talking to Ricky, like his other, I almost said boyfriends, which isn't what I mean, but, but like his friends who are boys yes. <laughs> saying, you know, we'll get them back about the bullies or Ricky himself being like, yeah, we'll make them pay. After Angela is dunked into the lake, Ricky tells Angela, we'll make them pay. Yeah. He has this very like retributive yeah. attitude, which... Is interesting that he's the one voicing all this desire for revenge. Yeah. And, like, it does help with the red herring of, like, is yeah. it Angela? Is it Ricky? But I think it also shows that, like, these children are so powerless. Like, how is he going to make these bullies pay? And also, why is it his job to do so? Yeah, right. Why is it his job to, like, defend his cousin from yeah. a fucking child molester who is working with children? Like, right. whose co-workers seem to know this is going on to at least some extent. Oh, man. Like, why aren't the adults doing things? So, you know, you know that I, I worked at a Girl Scout camp for three years. And, like, just Often watching. in the kitchen. <laughs> some, in the kitchen, yeah. But, like, even not in the kitchen. Like, there's so much stuff that's just, like, you would never let a kid say that. Like, Judy and Meg dig so deep into Angela before the other one. Ronnie. No, the girl. Oh, I forget. Blonde we still girl. don't fucking know her she's name. Chrissy, maybe? I don't, I don't know. I was gonna before, go she's like, <laughs> before she's like, that's enough. And I was like, you let them verbally abuse her yeah. for so long right. before you were like, okay, that's enough. You Especially know? considering the fact that Meg isn't even one of the campers. She's a counselor. She's a counselor. Who is yeah. bullying a child. A child. Yeah, one of I the I mean, campers. she's a child yeah. too, but like an older that child. That is the thing about camp counselors, guys. Like, it is kids watching kids. Yeah. It's, it's, it's bad. Yeah. Um, but also, like, when they throw Angela in the lake, Mel is so wrapped up in yelling at Ricky and accusing him of murder that he doesn't notice that like Angela is saying like I don't want to go in the water please stop and just like let's all of this happen in the water and I was like why is nobody stopping them and this is how we end up in the situation where Angela has to sort of take her own revenge yeah because there were so many like places where the checks and balances weren't there yeah they just failed that they're just like yeah there's a probably 16-year-old counselor named Meg who yeah. was, like, verbally and physically abusing <laughs> campers. Yeah. 
this like 12 year old yeah and the adults like the the camp admin are just like not doing anything yeah. about it yeah there are a few times where they're like we'll tell ronnie because he's like the head counselor i guess i guess but, like, what does Ronnie even fucking do? What does Ronnie do? No, it all comes down to Angela. Yeah. And I do want to talk, since we're on revenge yeah. and, like, retribution, I want to talk also about, how like, how exact her retribution is. It is pretty exact. If we want to go back through, like, the murder victim. I, I've got him right here. Yeah. yeah. I feel like Artie getting burned in the face. It makes sense that it would be a kitchen accident yeah. to me. Yeah. But I don't know that it def- necessarily... I mean, if I want to get really poetic mm-hmm. with the idea of his lust burning him. Ooh, you know, there you go. Blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I also love her. Um, we see her with an ice cream cone, which is the thing that he was trying to bribe her with. She's oh, like, yeah, do? I fucking, you know. Still got my ice cream cone. Yeah. And I fucking also, destroyed I, you. I could also see Artie's like accident, accident, you know, yeah. whatever, as like his incompetence. He just should not be in a kitchen. He shouldn't be in a kitchen. Yeah. Or he shouldn't be around children. Yeah. Absolutely not. Um, and then it's Kenny. He's the one who gets the water snake. Yes. Which is perfect because that's what he was like taunting that other yeah. girl with he, and then there's yeah. the, the bully that we talked about who hits her with the water balloon who she kills by putting a wasp nest into yes. the locked bathroom yes which is great because then paul says about it someone was playing a prank that got oh, out of hand seems. yes you know and it's like that's exactly how it's meant to be set up that's why angela can get away with these things but it also is like revenge because he played a prank on her yeah. so she got him back with a prank only hers was actually fatal yeah right she's like so exact about it but i do wonder because wait after hold on where's my kill list here? after him it's meg after him it's meg she gets stabbed well, in the back or is it meg or is it those those campers oh that eddie's supposed to be in charge of well we see them those their dead kinda, bodies later yeah so i was actually gonna ask you that about like how does the killing of those campers that eddie is supposed to be watching like where does that fit okay in so well my revenge? thought okay so first in terms of what we see right we get meg who is stabbed in the back because she's supposed to be a counselor who is watching these kids but instead she's being horrible and bullying them with yeah. duty so i'm like yeah backstab the backstabber yeah fuck that me. one works for me yeah judy who as we said, according to the internet, though we did not pick up on it, is smothered by a pillow yeah. and then like penetrated with a hot iron in some way. Yeah. Which I sort of, I can see that as like a symbol of like her newfound hyper femininity sort of stuff mm-hmm. and also her like quote unquote sluttiness and getting killed on the bed where she was just like making out with an older oh, boy. she was making out with an older so boy. So like that one all works. Yeah. But then yeah, we get to the campers who we see have been axed to death. Yes. Yeah. Like just crazy acts to death. And I think it's maybe supposed to be the same boys who are like kicking sand at her or like sort of bullying her, but oh. like not in, to the extent the other ones were. Yeah. And they were clearly like younger kids. And I just, they yeah. They were younger. That yeah, one's I harder that. to see the poetic justice of because that's also when things start to ramp up. That's the they one. They do. Yeah. That's the one that to me is sort of signals that, okay, things are getting out of hand. Mm-hmm. These are no longer like retributive. These are like. I almost wonder if. Angela was there to like kill Eddie. Yeah. But then Eddie wasn't there Maybe. and just like ramped up, you know, like yeah. ready to go berserk. And so it was just like, fuck it, I'll just kill the people. Yeah. Who are here. <laughs> They're here. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And then after that, we get Mel with the arrow through the throat, which in my mind, I was so like, yes, because he never prioritized camp safety. He never did. He never did. You're right. Yeah. Of course he would accidentally get, you know, you yeah. Know, and he also, would be standing in front of the archery range. And, and get, as I said, fantastic shot like right through his throat i know apparently angela's been working on that right and like this is the thing is like angela has a very large skill set yeah like she 
can cut open screens and like find a wasp or bee's yeah. nest, you know, and, like, and not get stung by it, and can like drown a dude who, you know, according to Ronnie, was a very good swimmer. Yeah, you know, it's like she's got a yeah. large skill set. Good for her. And then, of course, our last death, where she fully decapitates somebody. Oh yeah. Which, well, is, again, is very poetic because she, like, tricks him with, like, sexy times. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. And then, I don't know. I feel like anytime you have something getting, like, decapitated, we're mm-hmm. talking about, like, separation from the body, mm-hmm. which I feel like is perhaps the way he made Angela feel. Was very, like, disconnected from her body, very much, like, not having control over her body. Right, In the yeah. way that he kept going over her boundaries. Yeah, it was so, it was so unfortunate because I was really rooting for Paul at the beginning of this film. Like, I thought he was really sweet. He was, yeah, like, fine with her not talking and then, like, gets really excited when she says goodnight, you know. And yeah. then, like, almost immediately after. It's, it's like kissing her without asking. Kissing without asking, he starts, like, touching her chest when she, oh, like, that's hasn't right. given that permission. Oh, yeah. And that's kind of when we get that weird flashback to her two dads. Yeah. Because I was with you with that, where I thought I had a lot of sympathy for Paul, even when he did start to press over her boundaries a little bit, because I was kind of like, all these people are just kids. And yeah. sometimes kids do crappy things to other kids. And also, like, it's probably what he was taught. You know? Yeah. And, like, he kisses her first. And then, like, he asks her if it was, like, kind of okay. And she doesn't really say anything. She doesn't really say anything. And looks yeah. sort of uncomfortable. But she doesn't talk a lot. So then he just kisses her again. And I'm like, I don't. No. No. But then later no, we see no, them. No. And she seems to be enjoying herself and kissing him. And they're, like, holding hands. And yeah. it's, like, great. And then he touches her chest. And she's like, no. Oh, yeah. And then I think there's a lot of confusion from Paul. It's just like, wait, so you're okay with this but not that. Yeah. Or, like, you weren't okay with it yesterday but you're okay with it now. And it's just like, yeah, yeah. Paul. Yeah, he gets really mad whenever she tries to set a boundary. Yeah, it's like, it's like people are allowed yeah. to change their mind. And like, just because something was okay on Tuesday doesn't make it okay on Wednesday. Like, yeah. it's sorry. It's sorry. A thing. Yeah. But I do think it's interesting that that's when we get the flashback to her dad's. Right. Where it is like, was she actually enjoying being with Paul? But then she thought of her dad's and that like made her sad mm-hmm. or that made her think, oh, this is gay and gay right. is bad and gay is bad or is it just that like she knows she has this secret that she doesn't want to be revealed or is it just that like she doesn't want to fucking be touched and that's fine you know like the movie's sort of unclear on it all like she doesn't know paul like that yet yeah (laughs) yeah but like so like the movie's unclear but also she very firmly is like i don't want this and that should be clear enough for paul but he doesn't fucking right it's like the well you didn't say no yeah and it's like no that's not how this works yeah and his death is interesting because we don't actually see it no we don't know how it plays out yeah we we don't yeah. You see him like decapitated. <laughs> yeah, but and what does Angela say? Like, meet me at the lake or oh, yeah. something. Yeah. So we know that he went to meet her at the lake. Yeah. And supposedly that they were gonna like make out some more and yeah. who knows what else. Yeah. Somehow they both end up naked. That's true. They are both naked. That's and true. so like did Paul have some sort of reaction to that? Was mm-hmm. he already dead? Mm-hmm. It's it's an interesting thing in comparison to like other depictions in like, you know, yeah, the crying game weird. or whatever. Of like that that it's like an inversion of like when that happens and it's like a cis man like often will kill or like assault someone because they'll feel that they've been tricked or into being gay or whatever and said we have it like the other way around. I don't know. It's just weird that we don't get that moment. Yeah. And know exactly what happened there. Or maybe like Angela was just looking for any excuse, you know, it's just like. Paul's on thin ice, man. He's, yeah, he's about on thin he's, he's ice. about to get murdered. And <laughs> she was just like, you know, like I beg you, like tip tip it over the edge, you yeah. know, and like maybe 
there is like a moment where there is a lack of clothing, you know, and be like, yeah, say something about it. Yeah. I don't <laughs> know. But like, we really, but we really don't know how Paul would respond to that. That's true. Like maybe he'd be like, yeah, I like you, Angela. Oh, you know, we yeah. don't know since, you know, he also likes Ricky. So yeah. Right. <laughs> I do still feel like the only reason he first noticed Angela was because it was Ricky's cousin. So, right. Yeah. So I don't know. Their whole relationship is weird. Really? Tell me about it. Um, oh my God, though. No, actually, wait. <laughs> this is <laughs> skipping back a little bit okay. to the kids who get axed. Yes, the kids, yeah. Uh, I forgot that I realized, you know, how Angela is very understandably afraid of water. Yeah. Those people get axed in the day that has the most murders. Yeah. It happens right after Judy and Meg dump her into the water. That's right. So I feel like that's actually that, like, trauma getting triggered mm-hmm. is maybe actually what's like initiating all of this to like escalate right and yeah. it becomes sort of like less about like specific revenge and more about just sort of revenge just against the whole revenge. camp society yeah. the whole heteronormative everything the you know dumb teens who killed her dad and sister you know yeah and i i also thought that too it's like for at least like a, a good chunk of the first half angela is like pretty much in like a freeze response like she's not yeah. eating she's not speaking yeah she's not she's even really like a traumatized child moving that much you know yeah, yeah and it's just like this is this freeze response is like a pretty typical trauma response mm-hmm. and like no one around her cares yeah they just like yell at her as to like why she's not eating yeah. and not talking it's like I yeah th- definitely scream in angela's face that yeah <laughs> that's gonna make it better <laughs> i think that is one of the few things that ronnie actually does contribute is that he's one of the ones who talks to her like yeah. kind of like really nicely about it and like tries to be there for her like yeah. oh why aren't we eating can we figure out something let's that you figure can out something eat? you can eat yeah. but then i think he's the one also who just sort of leaves her with the fucking yeah with our pedophile so Oof. like not great yeah so in the friday the 13th way right there is this person who we find out is like kind of getting revenge for dead family members who yeah. were killed by having been wronged by some teen campers you know right yeah there's that do you get the sense that maybe angela also feels some sort of guilt or like some sort of hatred towards pranks because when this all starts it's her and her sister sort of like creeping up on her dad and sort of scaring him on the boat and so they're kind of in this precarious position oh, on the yeah. boat and then they all tip over into the water yeah so it sort of all starts with like a prank a harmless little uh-huh. kid's prank and she, like, understands how out of hand pranks can get. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, uh-huh. the aspects in the environment that can't be accounted for. Yeah. Like, that poor girl who obviously wanted to stop water skiing. Yeah. She was, like, literally crying about it. <laughs> <laughs> poor girl. Uh, yeah. Maybe she's anti-prank, you know? Yeah. Like, the way people or, get, like, scared of fire after surviving yeah. a fire. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, her fear of water makes so much sense considering her background. Yeah. I feel like her sort of animus towards pranks might make a lot of sense too and also her animus towards straight teens doing dumb straight teen (laughs) shit that's fair (laughs) totally fair um right and she can't like vocalize it because she doesn't doesn't really talk that much yeah and i'm not sure that you would even have the words for that fair enough yeah you know especially at that age and yeah like especially if like every time you are literally just sitting and existing you get yelled at it makes sense that even if she did want to say something she'd be like these people are fucking crazy i'm not engaging with them you know yeah yeah actually to go back to harmony colangelo Mm -hmm. she has this quote 
The framing of Sleepaway Camp presents Angela as the villain, but she is no more of a villain than Frankenstein's monster. Mm. Angela didn't want to be a monster. She was turned into one by everyone and everything around her. From where I sit, despite not actually being a trans character, she is an unseen anti-hero doling out cathartic trans justice. She is cursed with a duality because there is no good way to view her as a positive character because she isn't doing good things. At best, there are explanations for why she does what she does, but it will always be a complicated subject. You can blame the bullies and Aunt Martha as the root of Angela's actions, but at the end of the day, she was failed by the system. And just this idea that like, what this is actually a story about is a traumatized child yeah. who went through some shit that nobody is taking care of. No. Nope. There's just a lot in this movie of people just sort of like standing in the face of horror but not actually doing anything. And I think also like obviously Angela is a very like deeply ta- traumatized child but like I think the other people around her are also traumatized. Yeah. And like don't know how to help. Yeah. Or don't know how. I mean, yeah, because, I mean, a lot of this is expecting other children to take care of a child. Right. Which, you know, really feeds into the fact that, like, there are no real adults in this film. Yeah. Do we want to talk about that more? We've been sort of skirting around the fact that there are, like, no adults. This is where I found another kind of, like, wolves in sheep's clothing thing. Like, Artie is, like, a super creepy kitchen staff dude. And, like, he's... What he's supposed to be is like, you know, the cook Mm -hmm. at the summer camp, right? He's supposed to be like one of the adults, you know, but like immediately, like he's never not creepy. No. The minute we meet him, he's like making weird faces at the campers. He says there's ain't no such thing as being too young. young? He calls them weird fucking names. Yeah. And it's just like, what had to happen for this guy to be like so overtly predatory, you know? And that everybody else is just allowing it. Yeah. They're just kind of laughing like, oh, you're crazy, Artie. Yeah. After he goes down, you know, and he's taken away. Yeah. There's Ben, who becomes the new head That's cook. right, yeah. He says, I always thought he had something of the devil in him. I was like, and it's like, you're bringing that up now? Now you're bringing it up, yeah. Cool, thanks. I yeah. mean, he is the one who sort of pushes him back, and he's like, they're too young. Yeah. But, like, doesn't do anything no. about it. He's not, a, I mean, the other guy's in a position of power over yeah, him. Or he's in true. the position of yes. power. So, yeah. like, ugh. And, and, like, could Ben have gone to Mel about this? What would Mel have fucking done? Probably oh, Mel, nothing. Mel is also not an adult. Right, and, like, this is the other thing. It's like, who are the adults? It's like there's the kitchen staff, right? Mm-hmm. There's Mel. There's Ronnie, who's like kind of gets as close as as we get to like an actual functional adult. Yeah, but like the counsel- but who seems very young too. Yeah, but like the counselors are also children. Yeah, they're right? teens. Yeah, there and then there's Mel, who's like just really greedy. You know, he's super greedy and like really self interested. And he's yeah. also having a quote unquote relationship with one of the camp counselors with, with meg yeah. yeah yeah like he's they're having dinner at his place like yeah. what and like also the way the movie does it they sort of like make meg out to be like super in on it and like the seducer and like yeah, kind yeah, of a yeah. lolita yeah and it's like no no he is clearly like an adult full-grown man with a cigar yeah meg this is, is a child meg is a child yeah it's just like um Ooh. yeah and like the the counselors again who are also children like really let conflict go on for way too long like let yeah. people fight let people yell at each other and it's just like oh my gosh what are you doing like yeah i thought Bleh. you know um and the like also you know the greediness of mel is like how are they dealing with the fact that like a camper died by drowning mm-hmm. like accident or murder that's like a huge emotional toll on yeah. the campers and let's the staff. Let's address these. Yeah, let's address this in some way. And no, but he just like sweeps it under the rug, right? Yeah. And like his main concern is keeping the, the camp open. Keeping the camp open, or like what would like? Oh, if the camp gets shut down, like we're screwed. You know, like mm-hmm. just say it was an accident. Yeah. 
Yeah, and at least Ronnie is there to sort of try to push back against him, but he doesn't get anywhere with it. Yeah, he doesn't get anywhere, yeah. So, yeah, Mel is just, like, super greedy and self-interested and just, you know, wants whatever is best for him regardless of, yeah. of what and that he really means for is other people. Yeah, like, our only adult with any sort of authority who could, like, actually do something. And he, what he does is get obsessed with a, a boy that he decides is the murderer and... Try to beat this boy to death <laughs> in public. He tries to beat this boy to death. <laughs> oh, Mel. Tell me about it. No, God, Mel is fucking um, crazy wild. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. And like his obsession with with Meg. Right. Mm-hmm. And then like kind of he go like he kind of loses his mind after he finds yeah. Meg. He's like talking to her. Yeah. And, and is like going to get revenge for her. Yeah. Not you, Meg. And he's just like, yeah. you. <laughs> would- it's like, how long did you even know Meg? <laughs> Right. And yeah, it's like him saying not you, Meg, is like a perfect example of like, yeah, you only care about the things that pertain specifically to you. Yeah. Yeah. You care about this. Like a child might. Yeah. No, he's fucking, you know, if I was, if I had been the one writing this movie, I also would have had it end with, um, Everyone thinking that Mel was the murderer. Ooh. Because he did fucking beat Ricky to he death. Did. Oh, not quite to death. Ricky is still alive. Yeah, Ricky, Ricky is yeah, still alive. Yeah. So Ricky is our only witness, really. This is true. To something happening. Yes. He would think that Mel was the killer. Right. I just think that's how I would have ended it. Yeah, but for sure. they didn't call me back before <laughs> I was born. <laughs> yeah, eight years before you were born. Um Oh, there's one crappy adult, well counselor so not quite an adult who we haven't talked about too much which is eddie eddie fully leaving sleeping children in the middle of the woods yeah all by themselves so first of all like uh, it's a movie right but again i'm just thinking about like my experience working at a summer camp there would have absolutely been two adults right yeah I don't know how it was done in the 80s, but yeah. Uh, yeah or in that well, specific camp. Yeah. Not only to take care of the children, but also to have other witnesses in case one of those adults is a creep. Yeah, right. Yeah. And to make sure no, you know, false accusations can be made either, I guess. Oh, whatever. Yeah. But- um, and also, like, no, that's not how it works. Like, two kids are cold. Like, you don't take two kids back. Yeah. You either take them all back or you tell them to suck it up. Right. And go to bed. Yeah. Know? Or you get them more blankets. Yeah, something. Like, there are other options, Eddie. You don't leave children alone in the middle of the woods. Right. (laughs) And it's like, they. it sounds like they drove a van out there. Like, have them sleep in the van. It's probably warmer in there. I don't know. Yeah, Eddie. Because this is the thing. It's like, this is so the truth that, like, camp counselors are also children. Yeah. It is children watching children. Yeah, they don't know what they're fucking doing. Yeah. Like, I remember when I was a counselor and, like, my very first week with campers, I was 18 years old, which was just, like, an atrocious mistake. I don't know who let me do that. And I had a camper who needed to take an ADHD med every morning. And I forgot about her med for like the first three days i just kept forgetting <laughs> and she did she's nine she didn't yeah think about it either and admin would get so mad at me for like not remembering and in my brain i'm just like i'm 18 years old like i can't even remember to take my meds <laughs> let alone another like a kid to take hers yeah like, what why am i in charge of this? why why <laughs> Yeah, why that's what he keeps coming back to is why are any of these kids in charge of any of this? That's true. Yeah. Why are these bullies getting away with this? Why is no adult stepping in to do anything? There's just no adults. It's they just don't exist in wild. this world. Right? And I think that's also really true in, in the slasher genre is, is a lack true. of adults. Right? That's true. That yeah. is another element of that. Yeah. But um, it's interesting with this one because we actually do have an adult who's very present in this film. Mel is factually an adult. Yes. He's just the fucking worst. He's the worst, yeah. It's like everybody in this movie 
every character is like so cruel and just like is incapable of responding with empathy, mm-hmm. except maybe for Ronnie. Yeah. Who like actually has that moment of being like, yeah. let's see what we can find you in the kitchen. And like, let's get you something to eat, please. Seem you know? to like think like, and he's the one who like stands up for Angela one of the times when Meg is bullying her. Yes. Or, like he does seem to be somebody who's like trying but yeah. he also seems to be somebody who is also just a counselor and is thus, I don't know, he probably is like the 18 Erica, you know, yeah. <laughs> who's somehow supposed to be responsible for getting all these kids their meds. <laughs> only in this case, these kids are killing each other. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, he can only do so much. It's true. Really, yeah. And especially like with Mel above him. Like, yeah. He, yeah. Because like yeah. he wants to like do something about these murderers. Yeah. He's like, maybe these weren't just accidents. He's like, you know, maybe we should close down the camp. You know, a lot of kids are leaving. Like, yeah. But it's just like Mel gets to do what he wants because he's the one in charge. It's like his camp. Yeah, whatever yeah, so that means. Like, yeah. So even when we have this one empathetic, rationally thinking character, they have no position of power. They yeah. can't do anything about get, it. Get outvoted. Yeah. yeah. Also, I think for me watching this film, I was really just like, God, children are so cruel. They are. It's one of those things where it's like, in ordinary circumstances, the cruelty of children leads to... Kids fighting, kids having bad yeah. days, kids getting angry, kids getting upset, you yeah. know, it leads to, you know, hurt feelings. Yeah. It doesn't lead to people dying. This is true. Yes. But then when you get into these extreme circumstances, kids being douchebags leads to kids dying. Yeah. Because, like, there's no, uh, there's no adults, yeah. right? So it's just, like, kids being, it's like Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. It's yeah. like. I was thinking of Yellow Jackets, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, uh, similar. haven't seen, but yes, same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, everything gets ex- escalated. Yeah, everything, yeah, there's not. Everything's just, heightened. Yeah, and like, everybody's so like, impulsive. Mm-hmm. And like. Because that's what kids are. Yeah, because kids are impulsive. And like, all of the examples of Angela literally just sitting there and all of a sudden like being yelled at. Yeah. And like called names. From, by multiple different kids. By multiple different kids just because she's just sitting there. Yeah. And I'm just like, what and it's is like, your yeah. problem? And because there's like no adults to step in and be like, hey, this is not okay. Yeah, right. Or no adult ever stepped in to be like, hey, Angela, you've suffered something really fucking traumatic. Let's, uh, you know, let's keep an eye on that. Yeah. <laughs> Because nobody is stepping in to do anything. It's just all left up to these kids. And what these kids are going to do is fucking cruel. It really is. Yeah. It's like, and I even think about like the girl at the beginning on the water ski. Like she wants to stop. And the two people in the boat are just like actively ignoring her. Yeah. They do not care. And even, even as Artie is like carted away, bandaged up, screaming his fucking head off. Everybody around him is just kind of staring at him. Nobody's being like, ooh, you know, like there's just no, no empathy. Yeah. No, and there's something about this movie, which at first I thought was just sort of an aspect of it being like an 80s film, mm-hmm. but also I think goes with that really nicely, is just how long after we find, you know, a dead body or something horrific happens, how long we linger on a shot of somebody just staring and not doing anything. Right. Yeah. Being horrified, being scared. Yeah. But in that like freeze response. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, who's doing anything in this movie? Yeah. We um, get it right from the beginning with right after... The dad and the sister die. Yeah. We get the girl who was on the ski. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's just in the water, like, screaming. Like, somebody do get him out of the water. Do something. And we have, like, I think we see Lenny on the shore, like, just sort of standing there in shock. Yeah. And it's like, those are your children and your husband. Do something. Yeah, do something. Yeah. (laughs) Like, nobody does anything ever. (laughs) Right. And I was also, like, kind of thinking about the theme of the cruelty of children and how that might, like, affect 
the intention behind the quote unquote reveal at the end. Like, that's a really cruel thing to do to a person. To Angela? Yeah. I mean, everything they do to Angela is a cruel yeah. thing to do to a person. Well, that does. Should we get into a literary corner? Because yep. we're talking about how that ending is kind of cruel to Angela. And I think you're right. Mm-hmm. And I think because we're throwing around the word twist ending a lot and like shocking ending. Right. Um, the reveal. Yeah. yeah. That for our literary corner, we could actually just talk about like what a twist ending is, what function it serves, when it's good and when it's bad. Right, yeah. And like when it, how it functions in horror. So essentially, if we're talking about the structure of a story. Right. Every story has a plot, which is just the things that happen. Yes. And most stories follow very familiar sequences when forming their plots. So like audience expect and are used to things like inciting incidents and rising action and climatic finishes, like whether or not we're consciously aware of what all those things are and what they mean, you know, and how they're working. Like we still expect like a beginning, a middle and an end. We still expect things to like go in a certain order and like have certain beats. And so a plot twist is there to just sort of upset that sequence, to take a little different turn, a little swerve, a little twist. Right. And so they're great because they add shock and surprise by doing something that you weren't expecting. But they also, if they're done well, add depth to the story. Right. By like revealing something that we, some sort of like previously hidden element to the characters or to the setting. Right. Making like an unexpected callback. I did want to give some like specific types of twists okay that i think are relevant to this film there are a lot of Can different types of categorized twists. yeah fascinating there okay. are a lot of different types of twists but the ones that the i M. think night Shyamalan kind of twist. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to talk about him too, okay though. okay no but just like in basic terms there's a few that are relevant there's anagnorisis which is just like a greek for like recognition or yeah, something goes greek. back to the days of like greek plays and stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. which is like when a character discovers something either about their own identity mm-hmm. or about another key character's identity mm-hmm. like near the end of Oedipus Rex when he finds out that he has, you know, killed his father and married his mother. That was a pretty shocking twist for him. Right? This is true. And of course, that's something we get in this movie. Just saying. That's true. Yeah. Um, There's analepsis, which is just a fancy word for a flashback. Oh, okay. Which, you know, is just a device that's often used to reveal the twist. Right. You know, we find out a main character's past and suddenly their actions in the present make a lot more sense. Which, again, we get that with Angela. That's a part of how a true identity is revealed. They do this. This is so silly. They do this in the Saw movies a lot. Oh. Um, where they will show us, like, a scene, right? Mm-hmm. And then, like, later in the movie, or maybe even, like, in the next movie, yeah, they'll show us, like, the scene again, but, like, from a different perspective. And you'll see that, like, another person was in the room. Oh. Um, which is also retconning right um, but like that's kind of how they yeah. yeah yeah the saw movies are interesting i actually haven't seen any of them but isn't i don't know if you could handle them. spoilers for the saw movies is it what isn't one of them where there's like a dead body you think's dead and then they it's like the first one yeah, yeah they yeah. get up at the end and it yeah, turns yeah. out that they were alive the whole time yeah. which is another form of that like recognition type twist and right. is also like a really famous type to have it be like somebody you thought was dead is actually the killer right yeah. or like I don't know. That comes up a lot in like Agatha Christie stories. That's mm. a big function of like, and then there were none. Mm-hmm. Another type of that sort of twist would be in her, uh, the murder of Roger Ackroyd, where the whole time we're going along with the narrator who's telling us the story. And it turns out at the end that he was the one who did the murder. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Which is a great twist, you know. That is good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's, she's famous for twists. Detective novels are a great place yeah, to get yeah, twists, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, Gothic novels are another good place, which I think is also relevant for horror. Right. You, know, you get it, like, the twists at the end of, like, Rebecca or Jane Eyre. Yeah. Oh, 
another bit of vocabulary we've already been talking about is a red herring. Yes, that's true. Good Which point. not everybody yeah. knows what a red herring is. Right. It's often used in like mystery fiction or that yeah. type of things where it's a false series of clues that leads the characters and thus the audience to like make the wrong conclusion. Yeah. So we were just talking about how there's a bit of a confusion about like, is it Angela? Is, is it, it Ricky? Ricky? There yeah. are a lot of clues there saying that it could be Ricky. Yeah. And so, true. like, it makes sense why Mel thinks it's Ricky. Ricky is talking a lot about revenge. Yeah. A lot of these bullies are kind of like, you know, people that Ricky has a hard time with, too, you know. Right, because he's been going to that camp for years, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. He knows those people. Yeah. Um, do you know how I learned the term red herring? Hmm. This TV show called A Pup Named Scooby-Doo. That's how I learned it, yeah. too, because there's the guy whose name Fred, is like... <laughs> Fred, who, like, hates red and he, hair, yes. and he, like, every episode wants to blame it on yep. him. <laughs> And then I think probably my my dad might have explained it to yeah. me. And I was just like, why is his name Red Herring? Yeah. And I guess the other thing to point out about twists is that it's often a twist ending, but it doesn't have to be. Like right. There is a mid twist or like also shows that have like a bunch of little twists all in a row and like the tension stays really high the whole time and it's just like twist after twist after twist and it gets like really complicated. Mm-hmm. But I do think twist endings are probably like the most popular form or the most well-known they're the ones that people talk about the most right i would say and i would also say that horror films in general like horror as a genre loves a twist ending like you're just saying with m night Shyamalan. like that's what he's known for pretty much ever since the sixth sense i assume that was the first one he did that had a really shocking twist i am not an M. Night Shyamalan scholar. Yeah. But it certainly sure. is the yeah. one that's always brought up as like yeah, yeah, yeah. the ultimate best twist endings of all time. Like right. the Sixth Sense is always up there. Yeah. And I, I really like the um, the Nate Bergazzi joke about how like actually pretty obvious it is that Bruce Willis's character is dead. Yeah. Like we, we literally see him get shot in the first scene. You yeah. Know? And he has the joke about like it made more sense to us that his wife just didn't talk to him for a year. Yeah. <laughs> that he was dead. Yeah, but that's the thing about a twist ending is sort of like that's part of what makes a twist ending good is that when you look back you need to be like oh duh duh yeah you know or like oh yeah of course yeah and how that compares to like what makes a I think now in our current media culture we have a lot of examples of bad twists yeah and I think a big reason for that is that a lot of these twists are just sort of shocking for shock's sake yeah and like they forget that when you're writing a story, it needs to be able to still stand without that twist at the end. It still needs to be a good story. It can't hinge all on this shock being right. shocking. Yes. When one person I saw writing about this was like, you have to make the Sunday first and then you can put the cherry on top, you know? Yes. Yeah. And that also your shock ending should make your audience experience two things. First, surprise. Yeah. You should be like, whoa, what, what? just happened? Yeah. That's crazy. And then after a second, oh, shit. Yeah. That did just happen, of course. It does make sense. It should feel, like, inevitable when you look back. Right. A twist should be rewarded with, like, reviewings. Right, yes, yeah. You know? And I think that was true with this one. Since we went in already knowing the twist with Angela. Yeah. You can see right at the beginning, they tell us right in the first scene, one of the kids is dead, and the other kid is still alive, and it's the boy kid. We see him still sort of treading water. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we see it right in the beginning. Yeah. And then we do get a lot of those kind of, like drops in like dialogue like yeah. Kenny being like wait till the you know the other well, boys are we get hear about this Aunt yeah. Martha being like don't let everybody know that I like you know oh, sort yeah. of fudged your physical yeah and then she's like I am she's a, doctor. a doctor and like Aunt Martha there's no way you're a doctor <laughs> sorry Martha <laughs> no you shouldn't be you shouldn't yeah. be what kind of doctor what do yeah. we know 
like do you have a phd yeah. in like romance languages what, <laughs> what are you talking about um so yeah i want to talk about like what makes a good twist and whether mm-hmm. this movie actually has a good twist or not yeah so one of the things is that it should feel kind of inevitable like the clue should be there yeah i think another important aspect is that it should have consequences it should still like matter to the overall arc of the story. Right. It can't just be there for the th- sake of the surprise. It needs to matter. Right. It needs to like connect to the themes or like something like that. And it needs to be plausible within the realms of the story. It mm-hmm. can't come out of left field. Right. It should probably coincide with some sort of choice because choice is really what makes stories interesting. So like a motivation revealed that explains why this character made this really surprising choice or like crucial information at the right moment. That makes a protagonist do something really surprising that you wouldn't expect them to do. But this changed everything, you know? Yeah. And I think it's aided by clues that, you know, reward you on the second viewing, like I already said. Yeah. But also should probably, for fun, be thrown off by red herrings. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like some clues in the other different the other direction. I think that makes it more ha- fun. I think it should happen when the stakes are really high so that right. it can have the most relevance. Yeah. And yeah. And it should just sort of like kind of change your entire understanding of the story. Hmm. So... So does Sleepaway Camp do that? And to me, the reveal that Angela is the killer, I think, is real pretty well done. Okay. Because I think it is sort of a shock. Like I said before, I think it's kind of unlikely that this meek girl is somehow committing all these murders. Just from like a physical standpoint. Like she fucking decapitated a dude. That's true. Like what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's but I also don't think it's like totally implausible because like she is the one who was getting bullying and harassment and like we learn about her trauma. So I think her her like reactions all of her actions make sense when we get that when we connect her to the child who experienced that trauma in the beginning like i think that all connects together i think her cousin ricky works really well as a red herring right. yep made even more plausible because they actually had ricky's actor act out a lot of the murders yeah which is interesting yeah and like it certainly happens when the stakes are highest so that's good it's because true. it's like the greatest number of murders yep. mel just beat ricky near to death yeah it has these really thematic consequences because it shows like the violence that children can do to others and to themselves when they're not taken mm. seriously. Mm-hmm. However, the twist that Angela was once like Peter yeah, or whatever, yeah, yeah. I don't, I'm open to discussion about that one. Yeah, I feel like it doesn't, I feel like it doesn't really have a consequence. Yeah. Because like after that, like there's a freeze frame and then the screen turns green and then the credits roll. And I know. It's like, okay, the fade so, to green is weird too. The fade to green was a weird choice. <laughs> Fucking yeah. 1983, am I right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like, so, like, yeah, I think and, it's relevant and, that it's the one of the kids from the boat accident, but it could have been either kid. And also, having never seen the sequels, yeah. I don't know if there, like, was a consequence, you know? But it doesn't really feel like there's a consequence. Yeah, and I also just don't know that, I guess, I would feel differently about the reveal if it had just been through the flashbacks. But I think what's really troubling to me, mm-hmm. the reason why this twist doesn't work for me and instead just feels like kind of a gut punch yeah. and like not in a good way, yeah. not like a fun, whoa, shock, but yeah. like a, oh God, yeah. this is horrible, is because like that is so clearly someone else's body. Right. Yeah. yeah and yeah. like they have him wearing a mask, a mask. of her face yeah. and she's making these like weird hisses and yeah. like her mouth is all open and yeah. weird. Like, so like the problem part, the problematic part for me was seeing this like child Right. Being presented as this like really dehumanized kind of like monstrous thing. That's like a change to her character that doesn't feel true. Like her being trans. Yeah. Sure. Her being this like monstrous figure yeah. is like really where she's like, like hissing and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Making weird animal sounds. Yeah. Where yeah. she's just like naked and screaming. It's like, 
before she was this child who like it had experienced trauma yeah. and maybe was lashing out for it in these ways but like there's this like sense of care given to her but like you said this ending just feels really cruel to her yeah they just take all of these things that happen to her and be like and it doesn't matter because she's a monster now yeah and, and it's like what the fuck and the last line that ronnie says is like she's a boy yeah it's yeah. like that's what you care about right now ronnie yeah that's what there is a decapitated head in your yeah. hands yeah what the fuck ronnie you have seen the results of several murders over the course of this summer and like yeah. that's what gets your attention yeah. okay Ronnie. it's fucked up. okay yeah so i don't know i mean this goes back to what we said would this still be a cult classic if it wasn't for that twist and is it a cult classic for like good reasons right <laughs> you know considering that that's what the twist is and i just i don't know how i feel about it i guess i feel different ways at different times yeah and yeah tell me about it right yeah it's like depends on the day right <laughs> yeah and i think yeah and i do think i would feel really different well, without that final reveal and it's like why did we need to see this child naked at all right and then why did it have to be clearly an adult man's body because the idea that trans women are actually predator men. actually men yeah, yeah yeah it's just like and it's like she was a child and now she's like this adult body it's just i don't know i just can't do that but like the rest of the reveal is okay for me yeah where it's like the aunt being weird and making her be Angela. Like, yeah. we could have just had that in the flashback. We got the information we needed. That's true. We did We did get what we needed. We didn't actually need to see a penis. And even still, the way that they that did it. That is supposed to belong to a child. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, having her screaming and hissing. And yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I just feel bad about it. It, like, doesn't make me feel good. I do. No. No. Um, I do have one more question about Aunt Martha, though. Okay. Yeah. Is like how is Ricky so like seemingly normal as he is <laughs> with a mom like that? Like he just seems like a normal teenage boy. Like he just wants yeah. to make sure that there's chips in his lunch bag and yeah, you know he seems cool. Like he's got friends. And, and Aunt Martha is so weird. Yeah. Like when we first were watching it, I was like, is she just a really bad actor or is she just this fucking crazy? <laughs> I was like, what is? What am I supposed to get? And I, I think we're supposed to think she's pretty crazy. Yeah, that she's yeah. But not towards Ricky, only towards Angela. Yeah, or like, well, even Ricky like knows that his mom is like a lot. You know, that's true. He makes some jokes about it. Yeah, but in the way a kid is sort of like ribbing his mom. Yeah, not like, wow, my mom is fucking insane. Yeah, and he's like, whatever. You know, <laughs> like gonna go away to camp for a couple months now. And I was like, yeah, maybe that's best. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. that. Yeah, I was just like, I don't know. Ricky seems like pretty well adjusted, all things considered. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's very obsessed with revenge, but this is true. He is obsessed with revenge. Also, like, but we, he's somebody who like stands up for people, and, and we it's don't, like that's true. He seems like a good kid, and we don't know where his dad is. We just know that he left. Yeah, yeah, that's all we know. And he once had a gay uncle. He once had a gay uncle. Alas, two gay uncles. Two gay uncles. Yeah. Alas. Um. Well, I wonder maybe what I have lined up for slasher corner here might be able to address some of those thoughts. Cool. So we know that there's like many staples of a slasher that like make a slasher a slasher. Right. And a really big one of them is the psycho killer. And often, not always, but often that psycho killer has a penchant for cross dressing. Yes. Um, and this can happen for a variety of reasons. And sometimes the reasons aren't super clear. Um, so I've got this really great quote from Carol J. Clover. Okay. She wrote, before she wrote Men, Women, and Chainsaws, she wrote an article called Her Body Himself. Oh, I've actually read that About before. gender in the slasher, yeah. yeah. And there was just this one 
a little quote that really stood out to me where she says, slasher films present us in startlingly direct terms with a world in which male and female are at desperate odds, but in which at the same time, masculinity and femininity are Mm. more states of mind than body. The slasher film gives us a clearer picture of current social attitudes, at least among the segment of the population that forms its erstwhile audience. Mm. Right. And so what we get in 20th century American media, right, we get this reflection of homosexuality and just general gender nonconformity mm-hmm. as really inextricably linked under like one big anti-queerness umbrella, right? Right. Uh, where like the queerness is coded as unfamiliar and potentially dangerous or deceptive. Right. And this is shown to us through characters cross-dressing. Yeah. Right. We we can actually pretty well pinpoint 20th century America's like fascination with cross-dressing and transness in the collective imagination. A really, really big aspect of it is is Ed Gein. Yeah. Whose crimes span. At least on horror films. Yeah. 1947 to 1957 mm-hmm. um, when he's caught in 1957. And a lot of what he says in, you know, it's hard because he did have a lot of body parts mm-hmm. on his farm um and a lot of them were female body parts right and but it's unfortunate because ed Gein probably had a very low iq and kind of fell into that trap a lot of people fall into with law enforcement where they kind of get like wrapped up into confessing to stuff they didn't do yeah. and they'll just agree because they just want to say whatever yeah they want to hear yeah there is some like testimony of ed Gein saying that like he wishes he were a woman yeah and it's like so hard it's just like is that because the of cops how you identify that? yeah or did the cops feed you that yeah. or were you fed that by your like fucking crazy mom um so th- that part kind of gets really blown out, in my opinion, out of proportion for all of the other stuff there is to know about Ed Gein. Um, but there's also, I, had you ever heard of this actress? Her name was Christine Jorgensen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I got to, apparently Christine Jorgensen also kind of puts what they call at the time sex reassignment. Yeah. You know, yeah, on, the, like on the map. The right. first big public example of it. Yeah. And she she meant to just kind of transition quietly, mm. I think, in Europe. Um, but she gets outed in 1952. Yeah. And it became a big like public to do. Yeah. It was a big thing. And a big media. And it's it's my understanding that I'm sure that there were some people who were like, mer about yeah. it, you know, but like it really seemed like a lot of it was like, look at this like marvel of modern science. Yeah. Look like, what science look can at, do. Yeah, look at look. Uh, you know, somebody can be born male and can like become female. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. Honestly, like from what I understand about Christine Jorgensen, seems like a super cool chick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and yeah. she does seem to like be talking pretty openly about her transition and like the surgeries that mm-hmm. she's had. You know, um, she gets outed because she wrote a letter to her parents mm. that gets leaked to the press in New York. And one of the lines in her letter to her parents, she says, "Nature made a mistake, which I have." had corrected and now i am your daughter mm. i like that i was like yeah. nature nice, made a mistake yeah it's, a nice it's cool i took care of it it's fine yeah, it's i got fine. it you know it's fine these um, things happen yeah and i'm your daughter like just fyi yeah um so we also have like that story kind of going around mid-century you know yeah. which is informing the general public's understanding of 
what's, of gender. What's possible. Yeah. And so we've got some pretty big examples of cross the psycho killer in a slasher movie cross-dressing, right? Mm-hmm. And like there's three very explicitly based off of Ed Gein. There's Norman Bates in Psycho, Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs, and Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. So Norman Bates, he he dresses as a woman partially as a way to hide his identity. And Bates isn't really like a trans character. No, he's more of like a fractured identity. Yeah, character. yeah. And, and Psycho kind of like, oh, I got this from uh, an article, Blood Bodies and Binaries, Trans Women in Horror, written by Ooh. Jenny Holtz. So uh, Psycho t- it is a good title. Yeah. Psycho turns his cross-dressing into a sign of murderous tendencies. He's less affiliated with what is now thought of trans identity. But Bates is one of the first representations to associate cross-dressing with a tendency to kill. Right? Yeah. And, and again, doing the research and reading a lot of articles, many of them stated multiple times that like the actual FBI has found absolutely no correlation between like cross-dressing or genuine transness and violence. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. I guess some no. people still need to know. But yeah. yeah. No, there's... um. Going back to Harmony Colangelo, uh, she has this other quote talking about Sleepaway Camp where she says, As any fans of true crime could tell you, an unfortunately common trend in the childhoods of many murderers is that they, typically men, were forced to cross-dress by their guardians. Obviously, this isn't always the case, and cross-dressing isn't enough to make someone want to commit the type of crimes that would land them on true crime podcasts Mm -hmm. in the first place. But people being forced to present or live as the gender they do not identify with can cause immeasurable psychological damage that can manifest in intense feelings of shame, depression, and anger. Angela's killing spree has real-world parallels that I'm pretty sure the writers lucked into. And I think that's because there are some, like, you know, serial killers and killers who historically were like maybe made to cross-dress by parents or something like that comes up i think people take all these things of these like cross-dressing and things and say okay so then they make this connection between cross-dressing and killing when the actual connection is people being forced to perform a gender that isn't their own gender right you know yeah and so it's more pointing to the harm that can happen when we don't allow trans people to express their true gender you know Mm. that like that's really where the harm is happening yeah right which isn't to say that trans people who aren't allowed to transition then become killers because that also very much is not the case historically either right but that it does lead to depression and suicide that is unfortunately the case for this next case study um buffalo bill and silence of the lambs okay so i got this from harmony colangelo dressing down the the quote-unquote killer cross-dresser trope is it inherently problematic um harmony states that buffalo bill is a trans woman i agree with that i agree too because the movie tries to deny it right like there's scenes with clarice and and hannibal Lecter where they're just like well he he's not actually blah 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 and it's like well how the fuck do you know right but the fact is random cis people is that like buffalo bill was actively trying to take steps to medically transition and was denied yeah which often happens which actual trans people does happen yeah and of course then there is like the absolute horrible representation of being denied gender affirming care and deciding to like torture and murder women right right yeah and like make a suit yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah and no people talk about a lot of trans writers when i was looking actually into this movie talking about how silence of the lambs is like the worst thing that has ever happened to trans women yes yeah because i mean compared to sleepaway camp 
Silence of the Lamb got so much more recognition. It, it won was, Best Picture. Yeah. Like, yeah. like people saw it. It swept the and Oscars that year. Like, trans children yeah. watched it with their parents, yes. where their parents were more horrified by Bill trying to perform femininity than yeah. they were by, like, the cannibal. Yeah. <laughs> and it just, like, crazy harmful movie yeah. that is so beloved and still considered such a classic. It's, yeah, it's it's tough because, like, it is a really good movie yeah. and it, like, will be forever tainted by that. You know? Yeah. So, Buffalo Bill, I think in my list here, the only actual trans person. Mm. <laughs> Except right. maybe Angela and Sleep Wicked. Right. Uh, so, then we've got Leatherface and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, this actually happens throughout the franchise. Leatherface, even in the very first one in 1974, like, moves between masculinity and femininity a lot like in when he's out of the house he's leatherface with his apron and his chainsaw but like when he's in the home he like especially in the first one like he's in the kitchen he's like wearing an apron and like several oh, like performing like performing femininity. housewife yeah, motherhood. Yeah, yeah, yeah he like he wears makeup on his mask several times over mm. the course of the franchise the best the, the most clear example is um texas chainsaw massacre the next generation which comes out in 94 um so well like leatherface is almost really barely considered a human right and like that's another thing about the psycho killer and the slasher is that like often the dehumanization do, but like they do need to be obviously a person yeah you know um, and and Leatherface kind of doesn't do that as much, you know. That's kind of where Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of breaks away. Although technically, you could consider it like a proto slasher anyway. Right. So you yeah. know, um, so you know, it just like Leatherface is like pretty well documented as just kind of moving between masculinity mm. and femininity. It's just like what Leatherface does. It's what you know, it's whatever. right? It's just like another example of all the ways that Leatherface is like beyond the bounds of normal morality, probably. Right. Yeah. And. In this, like, cis-normative view of And there morality. are also just, like, there really aren't a lot of women around. Mm. And so, like, I almost wonder if, if Leatherface sort of, like, takes on, like, well, there are no women around. Somebody needs to be somebody mother. Somebody needs to be the mom. Yeah. So I'll be the mom, you know? I, I, I genuinely don't know. Um, another example is uh, a movie I've never seen, uh, Dressed to Kill. Oh, yeah, I saw that one come up a it, lot. It but comes I haven't out a lot, it. yeah. Or it comes up a lot when you, when you look into such things. I've never seen it, and honestly doesn't seem like my kind of thing (laughs) and this is one where another like really harmful representation of transness where it's like really directly equated with mental illness Mm. um the killer is meant to be a transgender woman with bipolar disorder oh and when manic she dresses as a woman and kills the occasional woman when Uh. depressed she presents more masculine and is non-violent okay bobby's therapist in the film, Bobby's the character's name, uh, denies her gender confirming care, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and believes her trans identity to be a result of her bipolar. Which is um, a thing that actually still happens. That happens, in yeah. Oklahoma. Bobby's trans identity is like totally written off as like a side effect of being bipolar, right? Right. And I wrote a little note, a little question I wrote to myself. I mean, what could be more psychotic than choosing to be a woman? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Yeah. Yeah. But it is the similar, like, disavowal. Like, they're trying to have their cake and eat it, too, where they can have, like, this cross-dressing killer, yeah. but then be like, but it's not a real trans person. They're, like, she's not actually trans, it's or bipolar. he's not actually trans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're not saying that trans people are killers. Yeah. That would be wrong. It's the same thing that they do with Buffalo Bill. Right. Where it's like, Buffalo Bill isn't actually a trans woman. 
he's just somebody who's crazy. So we can have yeah. this person who's like a cross dresser and, and a killer and not be saying bad things, you know, not being harmful to trans people or whatever. And it's like, no, you still are. Yeah. And there's really a lot going on that like this killer when in a manic episode and actually committing acts of violence is doing so as a woman. Yeah. And then like presenting more masculine in more like depressive episodes. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just like, okay, make it the woman's fault. You know? <laughs> like kind of, that's also what I think about like Norman Bates and psycho is like, yeah, he does kind of have this like fractured yeah. psyche and personality. And like part of it is like his mom. Who's right? the overbearing. Who's like, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, that's, that's who the killer is. That's who the killer is. It's yeah. all the mom's fault. Yeah, it's mom's fault, of course. Yeah. Um, let's lighten it up a little bit. Another really great example example is uh, Frankenfurter from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ah. Uh, literally just a transvestite. Yeah. Which is a fancy word for crossdresser. Uh, Frankenfurter's not a trans person, just like a groovy dude who feels his oats and lingerie. And yeah. I, for one, am fine with it. Yeah. Um, and also murders. But... <laughs> Two unrelated, un- unrelated, unrelated facts. Just you know, uh, humans contain multitudes. Yeah, you know, you can be, and both. a lot of people are doing a lot of gender things in that movie. It's true, very, and true. not all yeah. of them are murderers. Yes. So this brings me to though my- it's interesting because it's a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. Transylvania, right? Yeah. So I think it is also another case of being the confused like. That confusion between what's a drag queen, what's a tra- trans person, right? And also the just like the the mixing up of the language, yeah, right. It's just like just to make the rhyme, probably, yeah, which yeah. I understand, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, there's obviously there's Angela in Sleep Sleepaway Camp, right? And honestly, who Angela in Sleepaway Camp most reminds me of is um, the old woman from Insidious, but gets a feature in Insidious Two. Um, so this character is forced to live as a girl by his mom, oh. even though we get flashbacks in Insidious 2, where I think it's Parker Crane is the character's name, um, really pushes back, like does not, was like, I don't want to be a girl. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to wear this dress. I don't want to wear this wig, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but all that pushback is is met with like abuse by his mom. Right. Mm. And so that's kind of what happens to this character is that like he quote-unquote goes crazy or something right and like commits these murders like dressed up as they call her the black bride it's mm-hmm. like a like a black wedding dress with like mm-hmm. a black veil right and it's like a guy like mm-hmm. putting on makeup and like putting on this dress right you know but we do get the backstory that like he was forced to live as right. a girl against his will which is honestly really similar to yeah. how i see angela and sleepaway camp yeah you know so what I, I was noticing, like, looking through all this, you know, I see the connection to, like, an overbearing or abusive mother mm-hmm. and a usually absent father yeah. in a lot of these, like, cross-dressing killers. Which are things that go back to the roots of Ed Gein, right? Yes. And also just... Probably like, by way of psycho. Just very Freudian. Um, so a lot of questions come up for me about these characters, right? It's like, how much of their gender dysphoria is caused by growing up in an abusive environment? Mm. Much like in like the real life case of Ed Gein, right? Are they experiencing gender dysphoria at all? We don't really know. Like yeah. Buffalo Bill, yes. Right? But like... Angela, we don't know. Angela, we don't know. Uh, Leatherface, we don't know. Mm-hmm. 
like Norman Bates, we don't really know, right? Yeah. Um, and and also wondering like what role does sexual orientation play in this as well, right? It's like that that absolute nonsense that sometimes trans people have to deal with, where they're like, yeah, like a trans woman is like interested in dating women, and it's, it's just like, well, why didn't you just stay a guy? Yeah. And it's like, okay, no, like because five things wrong with what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> trans women can be lesbians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hell. And and sexual orientation and gender identity have nothing to do with each yeah. other um uh yeah like like where does sexual orientation play into this like does angela find herself attracted to paul mm-hmm. and like what does that mean for her knowing who she is right yeah right you know? yeah was that experience where she had that flashback right then to her dad yeah because it was some sort of like gay panic response right or not or not we don't know or just uh i didn't really want this to happen and it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, I don't think the movie cares. No, no, that's, that's exactly, that's kind of where I go to with a lot of these movies is that I just don't think they care. Oh my gosh. You, you read my mind. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah. That's what I was just going to like wrap this up with is like most of the time, these questions aren't really even answerable because the picture of these characters is incomplete because they're created and viewed through like, a cisgender heterosexist gaze. Yeah. Like there's, there is no answer. Right. right. Um, so it's however we want to like read into it, you know, which I think is why they can have such polarizing responses in like queer communities and trans yeah. communities where sleepaway camp can have a lot of people who really love Angela. Yeah. As like a trans character, trans girl, or see her kind of more as like a representation of the trans experience as being a, a boy who's being forced to be a girl yeah. you know or just or like, people who are like no this movie fucking sucks and is painful to watch yeah. or is like the butt of a joke or yeah yeah it's just it can have so many different responses because we're we have to put so much on it from ourselves yeah because the movies don't care themselves yeah like as i was mentioning earlier you know these these depictions of transness through the psycho crossdresser right in some ways they can be like problematically empowering you yeah. know at best but yeah like at worst they're like directly harmful yeah <laughs> to not like trans people gender non-conforming people and also just like women yeah <laughs> in general um you know mentally ill people Men- yeah. often because often they're combined yeah yeah um, uh, just all around bad yeah and also again like i have to remember this movie's from 1983 right it's like there's just like a really unfortunate lack of understanding and like complexities that come with like gender identity and grouping a lot of different experiences together, some consensual, some not, right? Yeah. You know, it just like grouping all of these different experiences into like the same box of like not cisgendered. Yeah. And yeah, not straight, not cis. Yeah, just there. Yeah. And it's like, but there's a lot more. There's a there, lot yeah. more. Um, um, and I think it's interesting how you keep saying um, that you want to remember that it's, this is made in the 80s. 83, yeah. Um, A, that like, I don't know, that like people knew about transness and like, could have been giving air to like actual trans writers at the time, but also that comparing that to now where we expect better, I guess. Yes. Right. We expect better. Yeah. But I don't know that that has happened. No, we had that like trans tipping point. Yeah. And then it was like, well, yeah, <laughs> like there are some horror movies. Like we just watched bit together. Right. Which yeah. Has Nicole Maines, who I have the biggest crush on. <laughs> and it's like a horror movie. And like her transness is a part of the movie. Yeah. But I don't know. I'm sure there are other examples, but none like Silence of the Lambs. Right. Right. That's the, you know. In terms of like recognition from the audience, you know, and like yeah. the Academy. 
Right. Yeah. It's like, it, and this is the other thing is that like, you know, representation is really important. Like it wouldn't like, these are still really harmful, you know, but mm-hmm. like they, I don't think they would, these depictions would be as bad if, if we had other depictions, yeah. if it wasn't all we had. Yeah. If we got to see like, kind of like in bit where we get like an actually like trans final girl. Yeah. Right. Or like a trans promising young woman. Yeah. Right. Like, so if we could like kind of even out the representation, then, you know, it's like in Lord of the Rings, Mm -hmm. right? Where like Sauron's the bad guy. Mm -hmm. Wait. Yeah. Is that the eye? Yeah. Who's the wizard? Oh, Saruman. Saruman. Do you see how I got them confused? Okay. Saruman is like a bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. And he's white, but like everyone else is too, (laughs) right? (laughs) So like you're not necessarily saying anything about like the evilness of of whiteness (laughs) because all of the good guys are also white, right? So it's like, so we could have... Meanwhile, the orcs are kind of coded as people of color. Yes, they are. (laughs) Yes. Um, And there's nobody else who is. (laughs) Right. Um, Well, I mean, you know, you get the dwarfs that are Kind of Jewish, Jewish code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so <laughs> not to talk about Lord of the Rings. <laughs> so this is, yeah. So this is basically like a call to action. Like, let's start making some more movies with like yeah, trans people. Because I think we are in this place where like, like I said, we love villains. And there's a reason why all of these like queer coded villains right. and a lot of things are like really beloved right, by yeah. a lot of queer people. Yeah. And part of it is that, well, we don't have a lot of other options for queer characters to mm-hmm. love. And the other thing is that, like, well, in this case, we're actually just seeing queer people as, like, full people who can do good and bad. Right. Yeah. A full character. And so, like, sometimes that means that they're, you know, murderers. And that can be fun and cool. Like, murderers can be cool characters, you know? (laughs) But it's like, we have to actually have a full spectrum of just people being people. Of, like, trans people just being trans people. Yeah. Of, you know, other types of queer people just being people (laughs) for that to, like work and not be just a bunch of harmful stereotypes that have real world consequences yeah so i think this is where we announce that we're making a movie (laughs) (laughs) Um. yes my version of scream with the lesbian vinyl killers there (laughs) you go yes i love it um I don't know about you, but I'm ready to play a game. Let's play a game. Okay. Yeah, we've, we've got a lot of heaviness in this episode. Yeah. So let's line it up Woof. before we let you okay. all go. So as previously mentioned, I have significant experience with Girl Scout camps. And I do not have any experience with any camps. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I picked up, the mini skill sets that I picked up <laughs> working at a Girl Scout camp um, are these things that I was referred to as don't tell games. Which are basically just games where somebody who doesn't know the rules plays it with somebody who does. And the person who doesn't know the rules figures out the rules by playing the game. Yeah. Much, much like life. Yeah. Um, so th- Yeah. I've done something like that, but where it was like a card game. Yes. Yes. Then and you like can rules do it with would cards. get added. Yes. As you, like whoever won the round would get to add a roll. Yes. Yeah. You can do it with cards. However, this is um, an audio medium. So, so we will yeah. not do that. Um, so I want to play with you the two most infuriating. Oh, God. Okay. I'm already ready to be upset. Okay. So I call, I learned this one at camp and I call it the triangle game. Here's how it works. Oh, God. I quote unquote, create an imaginary triangle between three objects. Okay. And we decide who the triangle belongs to, quote unquote. Okay. So for instance, if I said there is a triangle between uh, our microphones and your laptop. Okay. 
Whose triangle is it? Uh, mine? It is yours. You're oh, right. it is mine. Yes, it's your triangle. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so uh, we, could do, we could do it again. Like there's a, a triangle from, you know, um, Jupiter to Saturn to the Earth. Oh. Whose triangle is it? Is it still mine? It is still yours. <laughs> why, though? <laughs> but why? But why would it be mine? I don't know the Earth. <laughs> um, you know, you could say, like, uh, there's a triangle between, you know, like, the TV, the stereo, and, and the fan, right? Okay, um, sure. Who's is it? It's actually mine. I'm saying it's mine. Why? So it's mine. But why, though? But why, though? Do you, do you want me to just tell you, or do we want to do another one? I don't know that I'll get it. Does it have to do with the type of triangle? For example, an isosceles or an equilateral? It has nothing to do with the triangle. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the triangle? This is the way don't tell games work. It like uh, it has nothing to do with what you're presented with. Oh, my God. Uh, so, like, if there's a triangle between the bedroom, the bathroom, and this couch, whose triangle is it? I don't know. Is that one also yours? No, it's yours. Why? <laughs> I hate this. I'm going to commit murder. I'm being bullied on the pod. Um, do, you, do you want me to tell you? Yes. So basically, it's so stupid. Um, it belongs to whoever speaks first. So when I asked whose triangle is it, you uh, spoke first to say it was yours. And yes, it was yours. And then the only time it did, wasn't mine was when you when said, I said it first, it's yeah. mine. Yeah. It's oh my, very that's silly. That's so stupid. I think I've got one that's even more infuriating. Okay. Okay. This one's, called, mad. This one's called How Many Bears. Oh, God. Um, so it's very similar. I would say like there are three bears in the Eiffel Tower. Okay. Four bears on the Golden Gate Bridge and like 30 bears in the Empire State Building. How many bears are there? I feel like there's going to be more than just me adding. Oh, you know it. Because I don't think it's, what was that, 37 or something? It's not. It's five. <laughs> five bears. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm so upset. So let's, let's do another one here. Okay. okay so okay. Uh, there are 10 bears in the playground. Okay. Uh, four bears in the backyard. Okay. And... Another four bears down the street. How many bears? Ten. No, three. Three? Three bears. <laughs> this defies math. It really does. It has nothing to do with math. This is I, how don't tell games work. Yeah. The triangles didn't matter about the <laughs> no, triangles. No. The numbers don't matter about the numbers. The bears don't matter. Um, Why would there be three? <laughs> Give me another one. I'm going to get it this yeah, time. Yeah, you are. I'm yeah. going to crack it. Okay, so two bears in China. Four bears in Italy, nine bears in Morocco. How many bears are there? Okay, you counted with your fingers to imply that there are five. But then how come the first time there were three? The first time there was there was five. There was five the first time yeah, too? Yeah, the second time there was three. Okay, well, how come the second time there were three? Because I asked a different question. I asked how many bears. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. So it ha- I don't pay attention when you talk. <laughs> <laughs> right, so... That's that's the rule. The rule yeah. is there are as many bears as there were words in the question, how many bears, right? So you could an- you could ask how many bears, how many bears are there? How many bears in total? You know, like uh, you could ask, you know, whatever, however you want to ask the question about how many bears there are, the number of words stupid. in that question. And this is why so many murders happen at sleepaway camps. Yes, absolutely. It's because we're driving the children insane. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's absolute insanity. But let's just play one more here. Um, and so this one's called Desert Island. There is only a certain 
kind of thing that can go on my desert island. Okay. And you have to like say things okay. and I answer you like yes or no. And like you have to figure out like what the theme is, like what can oh, go okay. So we're looking for a islands. theme. Yes. Just for like the sake of time, I should narrow it down. Um it has something to do with horror films. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm gonna start with okay, can your desert island have a hornet's nest? Yes. <laughs> Did I get it in one? Yes. God damn it. <laughs> can it have a hot iron? Yes, it can. <laughs> have an arrow through somebody's yes. neck. Only if it's right through somebody's yes. neck. Yes. Yeah. See, I'm very good at these games when they aren't stupid. When, they're not, when they make zero sense. Uh, yes, I, murder weapons from sleepaway camp. Yes. Nice. Maybe that was too easy, but it's okay. Um, so thank you for showing me these games. I never want to go to sleepaway camp. Not just because of the murder, mostly because of the games. (laughs) games, Yeah, yeah, that's like a pretty good example of like what camp is like. Because you you really do have like a lot of time to kill. And so like you play games so that you don't bully each other. (laughs) Yeah, you play games and you sing songs. And yeah, it's kind of like the psychological torment of like asking a nine year old how many bears. Yeah, there's three. Yeah, and they're like, nah! and it's like, oh, this is so great. Because they drive you crazy, too. So you got to get them back. So you like, got to get them back. This is so satisfying. <laughs> this has been Deep Thought Shallow Plots. Uh, join us next time. Oh, yeah. for Because we're doing, this is a part of our summer, summer series. series. Yes. So next time we'll be doing Midsommar. We do have an Instagram. Follow us on that Instagram. Um, At Deep Thought Shallow Plots. Give us reviews on oh, yeah. our on your podcast's catcher of choice i think honestly at this moment there is one five-star review oh and it's me oh yeah <laughs> you made me excited on spotify i was like oh maybe it was one of our moms <laughs> no it was me yeah um my mom doesn't know how to do that <laughs> maybe your mom does she um, has been listening that's lovely yeah so um, so shout out to our moms yeah um, uh so until next time eat shit and live <laughs>